Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. I greet you uh, from a number of places, I guess. First, from your sister denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, and also from Ministry to State, as Joel has uh, informed you. I, minister, um, I, I uh, serve with Ministry to State, which is a ministry to those in government. I am minister to state government in New Jersey, so my ministry is to our elected officials in the legislature primarily, but I also seek to reach the executive branch uh, by God's grace and others in government. So if you're interested, um, I'd be glad to talk to you about that after uh, the service. There is some literature, I believe, that might be available as well. Let me pray for our time. Father, um, it is an awesome thing that we do every Lord's Day, that we rise and heed your summons to gather and know that you are among us. So I pray now, this has already been prayed, but I, I, I echo that prayer, that you would now apply the living word of the living God to our hearts by the power of your spirit so that we would rise to new life in Christ and follow him and that he might be glorified in us and through us for his name's sake and for the advancement of his kingdom until that day we see him face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, when you hear the word authority, what, what comes to mind? How do you respond? Are you suspicious? Are you concerned? Are you skeptical? Wait a second, man. I got to be free to be me. I don't want anyone telling me what to do, except if he signs my paychecks, maybe. So within our society, um, we have been conditioned in this way. And even us who profess Christ, it's, it's just part of the air that we breathe. It permeates everything. And we have a hard time differentiating authority from authoritarianism, differentiating authority from the abuse of authority. The irony, of course, is that those who condition us to reject authority simply wish to substitute their own authority for, the, for that which they want us to reject, whether that's you know, a parental authority or church or even God, the authority of God himself. They tell us to be free, but to define freedom as what they believe, how they want society to, to, to be, and what they conceive gives life meaning and value and makes life worth living. So the fact is, we will live under authority. That is unavoidable. We will be subject to forces and ideas that do not originate with us. The question for us, the ever-present question, is who or what that authority will be. And so to consider that question, we are going to now turn to our sermon text which is from Matthew uh, chapter 8, verse 23, continuing into chapter 9, verse 13. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? 
And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God with given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus, with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. So, considering our text, I want to first consider where it fits within Matthew's gospel on the whole. So Matthew's gospel presents Jesus Christ to us. Jesus is the king who's come into the world to rest on a rescue mission to save his people from their sins. This announcement is made in Matthew chapter 1. To be king is to have authority. Authority is at the essence of kingship. It's what make king, makes kingship what it is. So as king... Jesus comes with authority, authority to speak and authority to act. So after presenting to us Jesus as king who's come with authority, uh, we read then, Matthew then presents to us Jesus' teaching in a number of chapters, particularly in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And here's how the Sermon on the Mount concludes. This is Matthew 7, 28 to 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not, not as their scribes. So was it the manner of Jesus' speech at which the crowds marveled, you know, that he spoke with a booming voice, he was large and in charge? I mean, maybe, I, know, I wasn't there, but that's not the point. So it was the content of Jesus' teaching. 
So ordinarily, a teacher, even a prophet, did not speak in his own authority. He simply passed on what he received from somebody else, whether it was from another teacher or even God himself. This is what so-and-so says. This is what you know, Rabbi so-and-so says. This is what God says. Or to put it another way, whatever authority that they had came from somebody else. It was derived authority. But in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say repeatedly? You have heard it said, but I say to you, hey, buddy, who are you? That's how they talk, That's how they talk back then. Um, I am the one with authority. What I say is what is. I define reality. There is no one above me validating my words. They simply stand by virtue of my saying them because I'm the one with authority. When I speak, I bring into effect the words that I have just spoken. So following the Sermon on the Mount, then, we see Jesus then acting with authority. We see him exercising authority over illness and disease. He heals a number of people. And then in our reading today, we see Jesus continuing to exercise authority. We observe Jesus exercising authority in one setting after another over different aspects of reality. We see him exercising authority over nature, over the spiritual realm, and over, physical, over people regarding their ultimate destiny. Right? Over physical reality, over spiritual reality, and over humanity. That's all. Right. So in these different settings, in each setting, Jesus' authority is disturbing or unsettling in some way. It is disruptive of what people expect and what people want. And the question for them, and by extension for us this morning, is this. This is the question before you. Are we willing to accept the disturbance that Jesus brings with him and his authority, or would we rather keep our lives settled the way they are without him and without his authority? Are we willing to accept the disturbance that Jesus brings with him and his authority, or would we rather keep our lives settled and ordered the way they are without him and without his authority? So let's enter in. Our first setting is Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. So, so the disciples are following Jesus. They're in the boat with him. When a huge storm comes up, causing them to fear for their lives, and unfortunately and strangely in so far as they're concerned, what is Jesus doing? He's asleep not doing anything. And the disciples are disturbed by this. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And actually, in the same, on the account in Mark's gospel of the same event, this is, how, this is what they say. Do you not care that we are perishing? Lord, we're in trouble. Don't you care? Is that not a feeling or a cry that you might be familiar with? It might be an ongoing situation in your life right now. We have a situation where we believe the Lord is with us, and yet we're in trouble, and he is seemingly inattentive. Right? It seems it's, it's, he's not doing anything to save us from the storm. Lord, I need you. Lord, do something. Do anything. Please make it go away. And it doesn't go away. Lord, don't you care? Lord, are you even there? Is any of this real? Here's what Jesus says to you. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? He takes the opportunity of the storm, 
not to soothe them, they're there, but to awaken them. You still don't know me. You still don't understand. You still don't trust me. You see the storm and its power, which is real. He does not call them to deny the reality and the power of the storm. We are never called to deny reality. That is not faith. You see the storm, and the storm is real, but you don't see me and my goodness and my power and my care in the midst of it. When you don't see Jesus as he really is, not as you imagine him to be or you expect him to be, but as he is, all you see is the storm, and you are afraid. Afraid of abandonment, afraid of what's next, afraid there's no way out, afraid of death. And maybe you're not afraid anymore because you've given up, you've gone past fear to despair. I'll just wait and let the waves consume me. There's nothing left to do. Before Jesus does anything, before he intervenes to address your fears and your despair, Jesus focuses your attention on himself. He says, look at me. The storm does not define reality. I define reality. Who I am is not subject to the storm. The storm is subject to who I am. Then Jesus acts, verses 26 to 27. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Question, when Jesus acts, are they more or less disturbed? In some respect, they are more troubled. Who is this? Who are you? What kind of man are you? They're no longer saying, who are you? But who are you? They're marveling. This is someone with authority over creation. Going back to our scripture reading from Psalm 89. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who is this that the storm and the waves do what he tells them? The authority that belongs to God is the authority that belongs to Jesus. The power that belongs to God is the power that belongs to Jesus. This is God with us. He is Lord with us in the storm, exercising authority over it at all times, both when it rages and when it stops. The presence of the, the, presence of the storm is not indicative of the absence of the Lord. But someone who can control the wind and the rain isn't someone whose power you can harness or that you can manage. You cannot control the authority of Jesus. You can only resist it and oppose it, or you can trust it, bow before it, and rest in it under any and all circumstances. When you follow Jesus, he brings storms into your life where it seems that he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing insofar as you're concerned in order for you to trust him more and know him better. And to see the greatness that that his Authority encompasses. It's greater than you can imagine because that authority also comes with his love. 
in the midst of the storm. He is with you all the way through. So may your fear move you to trust him more and to seek him more. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for one reason and one reason only. You are with me. Moving on to our next setting. We see Jesus exercising authority over the spiritual realm. This is verses 28 to 34 of chapter 8. So he encounters two demon-possessed men. Now, a lot of people in our society might say, what's up with the demons, man? Then That might not be the case with some of you. You're saying, I know all about the demons. The fact that there are demons simply means that, well, it means a number of things, but it means that evil is personal. There are spiritual beings who oppose God, who want to hurt people who are made in God's image. That's what demons do. That's their whole thing. (laughs) They want to get you. And there's an ultimate demonic power who we know as the devil or Satan. And it says in 1 John chapter 3 that Jesus' mission is to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came, among the reasons that he came. So most people think of, of good and evil, light and dark, the demonic and the godly, um, sort of in conventional ways, as, as equal and opposing forces. You know, fighting it out. Who's going to win? But that's not what we find here at all. These are not two equal and opposing forces. The demons are subject to Jesus' authority. First, they recognize him and his power. What have you to do with us, O son of God? Secondly, they do what he says. He says, go. What do they do? Well, they go because they have to. But the demons are looking to wreak as much havoc as they can before they face their destruction, which they know is imminent. It is coming. They just want to mess things up as much as they can before that day. But they are subject to the Lord's authority. Now, something that we find here, but also really throughout the Gospels, is that the demons recognize who Jesus is and the threat he is to them before anyone else. There's a frenzy of demonic activity around him, and, and they know who they're like, we know who you are, you like they just just like they did here. Right? Everyone else is like, I don't know what's going on, who is this guy? Where is he coming from? What's his story? But they recognize him. Right? And so there's a frenzy of activity around him that's demonic, that's spiritual. I submit to you, we live in very, very chaotic times. Times of utter upheaval. Just about everything. Down to the very core. And I submit to you, maybe that's part of the explanation of the frenzy that is around us. That there is a frenzy of spiritual activity that is actively harming people. The spiritual forces... The demonic realm is at work. But at the same time, that is an indicator of and a response to the advancement of God's kingdom and the work of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is on the move. That's the, that is, the frenzy is the evidence, as we see in the ministry of our Lord himself. So don't be put off by the frenzy. Again, I'm not telling you to deny the frenzy. We don't deny reality. But don't fret. Be encouraged. Encouraged to seek the Lord. 
for to which kingdom will you belong? Friends, the way to be free of the demons, the only way to be free of the demons is to come under the authority of Jesus. That's it. Otherwise, you are subject to them. They are subject to him, but if you are not under his authority, then you are subject to them. But it is his word that drives them out. So it is his word that you want to have be subject to and submitted to and have be your authority. Now, question, when Jesus drives out the demons, what happens? Does the town rejoice? No, they're not happy. The people are terribly disturbed. All the city pleads for Jesus to leave their region. Jesus casts out the demons, and they respond by casting Jesus out. Who are you casting out of your life? Why do they cast Jesus out? Because Jesus drives out the demons into a herd of pigs. Why are they so upset? Because this is some sort of first century animal rights movement, you know, PETA before PETA. You know, they just feel bad for the pigs. No, no, that's not it. That's not the deal. What are the pigs? The pigs, that's their wealth. That's their livelihood. This is the local economy we're talking about. Right? So this is not a small thing. But at the same time, we have, so here we have Jesus, the king with authority, who is mighty to save, to save, freeing two men who were under demonic control and delivering the captives. But it's too costly. It's too disruptive to the lives of those in the community. They're so captive to what they have, to their life the way it is, that they can't see what's right in front of their eyes. They can't see Jesus, and they can't see what he's doing. They only see what they are losing, and it's not a small thing that they're losing. Don't get me wrong, that that would be untrue. But they don't see what they are gaining. You're messing up everything, man, get out of here. So they prefer to keep their lives the way they are, even with the demons. If we're going to lose our pigs, then we're not making that deal. We'll take the demon and the pigs. If we don't get the pigs, then forget it. They prefer to keep their lives the way they are to having their lives disrupted and disturbed by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, can you relate Can you relate to the desire to keep a safe, ordered, comfortable life? Maybe you're happy to keep Jesus around to keep your life in order. There's nothing wrong with that. What if his presence, his freedom, his sovereignty, his authority disrupts your life? How will you respond? Now, you might be thinking, well, I've got nothing left to hold on to, man. I've got no pigs left to lose. Okay, I hear you. But you know what? Often it's the things that make us miserable that we hold on to most strongly. <laughs> and we'd rather just keep things the way they are. All right? Friends, don't sell your soul for anything. Not for any price. He's the treasure. He's the valuable one. Not the pigs. Maybe if we called them pigs, maybe that would put them in their place. We'd have a proper perspective. Anything that keeps you from the Lord, that you hold on to above him, is a pig. To be cast into the heart of the sea. And you must be willing to have that happen. If that's that's what needs to happen in order for you to be free of captivity and to come under the authority and the word of the Lord.
So we must say, Lord Jesus, we beg you to stay and do whatever you need to do. Please don't go. And if, and if that means some really weird stuff is going to happen and I'm going to lose a bunch of pigs, then you be you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Hallowed be your name. So let's continue to follow the king. Now we move into chapter 9, where he brings another disturbance. This time we see him exercising authority over people regarding their ultimate destiny. So a group of really good friends do whatever it takes to bring their paralyzed friends to Jesus. These are good buddies. These are the kind of friends that you want to have in life. And this is the kind of friend that you want to be. Okay, these are good guys. Right? And Jesus says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, well, that's not why we brought him, but okay, we're, we're willing to stick it out. <laughs> right? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are disturbed. They're offended because Jesus has the audacity to declare the man's sins forgiven. Again, it's a matter of authority. Who does he think that he is? Where does he get this authority? He's blaspheming because no one but God can declare somebody's sins forgiven. In other words, you are claiming for yourself what only God has the right to claim. So how does Jesus respond? He says to them, okay, you think that these are just words that I'm saying? You're right. Anyone can mouth the words, your sins are forgiven. That's true. But can anyone other than God himself with a word take a paralyzed person and enable him to walk? Who has the authority to take what is dead and bring it to life? So Jesus says to the paralyzed man, rise, and he does. And then he says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. Sin is the fundamental human problem. The biggest problem you have in your life is your sin against God. Because that's everyone's ultimate and real problem that must be addressed, that we cannot address ourselves. Nothing that happens to you can destroy you. That one thing that happens to you, only your sin can destroy you. Because it puts you at enmity with God. And that's an insight only the scriptures give us. And Jesus saves from sin. He grants forgiveness of sins to any and all who come to him. Brothers and sisters, question, do you believe the Son of Man has authority to forgive your sins? Well, you know the answer by whether or not you get up off your mat when he calls you. So I had a cousin named John Hanna. Uh, we were close in age and we were very close friends. So it was very confusing to everyone. Um, so beginning about age 18, John started using drugs and he got, was, became a heroin addict for about a decade. Um, heroin is horrible. Um, he spent time on the street, he spent time in jail. He tried everything to get clean. But the thing was, John didn't simply want to get clean. He wouldn't settle for that. That goal by itself didn't have the power, didn't have the glory, didn't have the authority to heal him or change him. Even as he was running away from God, right, he was desperate for what only God could give him. And one day he came to me and said this. He said, Jesus is real and I believe in him. And that changed everything. 
it was like we were, those of us who were around him, who knew him, we were mesmerized. It was like, it was like watching a miracle, really to watch, to watch this one man that we all knew and loved come under the power and authority of the Lord was incredible. His change affected all of us. The, the Holy Spirit worked through him to really bring a revival into our family. We were gathering for Bible studies on Friday, you know, what? Just, just like we were just doing all sorts of stuff. We were going out in ministry together, right? And John, and John didn't forget those whom he used to hang out with and those like them. So he went back to the streets. He went back for the homeless. He went back for the addicted. He went back for the poor. And then at the age of 34, um, I was struck by the, the account earlier of, of the young man dying at the age of 34. John was, died from injuries from a horrible car accident. Um, um, the thing I theorize, I, I think he just, he, he, did it, he did so much in five years that that was what the Lord had called him to. <laughs> um, but for the last six months of his life, he was an assistant pastor at a church not far from here. And, and the, one of the pastors he worked with loved to tell this story. He said, when they arrived to minister to this man, this young man, he was in his bed, unable to move uh, due to the toll of the drug use. And he basically said, I can't get up. I don't want to get up. I have no reason to get up. And John got into the bed and laid next to him. And he said, I'm not getting up out of this bed until we get up together. Why did John do that? Because that's what Jesus did for him. That's what Jesus does for all of you. When, you. when you can't get up and won't get up and maybe don't even want to get up, he, he comes right down next to you and says, we are getting up together. He comes down into the sin, into the storm of our lives, has it consume him, overwhelm him, crush him, kill him, and then rises to new life and raises you with him when you come to him as your authority. Do you believe that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive your sin? Rise up and follow. Because how can you not respond? How can you not do what Matthew does in our passage? When Jesus says to him, follow me, he's like, really? I can follow you? I'll just... I can be with you all the time, go where you go, and listen to you and, and be instructed by you and have, and have my life with you, really? And then what does Matthew do? Well, then he just throws a big party and invites all of his friends. You can come too, he'll take anybody. Tax collectors, come. Sinners, come. Right? And because, because why? Because he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He didn't come call to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why he came. He came for such as all of us and all of you. So that you would submit to him as your authority. This is uh, from John Piper, what Jesus demands from the world. When the most glorious person in the universe pays all my debts and then demands that I come to live with him and enter into his joy, there can be no more desirable demand imaginable. Matthew's gospel concludes with these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
and I am with you always. Friends, will you come to the one who has authority? Make the trade. Accept the disturbance. Whatever you need to do, let nothing hinder you. Because that disturbance brings you the, the, the only true and lasting peace that is available to you and available ever. It is your only comfort in life and death that you belong not to yourself, but to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Rejoice and be glad in him today, and rejoice and be glad in him always. Let's pray. Lord, it is an awesome truth that we have just read and considered. The one who is almighty God came down and dwelt among us, fully man, took on the the fullness of our humanity and the fullness of our sin. Lord Jesus, thank you. Again and again we say thank you for delivering us from, from, from sin and for your authority to forgive sin. Your authority over creation. Your authority over the spiritual realm. Or your authority over us. Your authority over all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. What a comfort, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray. I pray that by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would apply this word to the hearts of all of us here today. According to your mercy and according to our need, according to your wisdom, according to the particular struggles and sins and challenges of each person, Lord, may this word find a resting place, resting place within hearts and grow up and be fruitful and grow up unto eternal life. You are the king. All authority is yours. We are yours, so we bow before you and praise you. This we pray in your name, Lord Jesus, and in the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit to you, our Father. Amen.